Chapter Twenty of the Millionaire Baby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Millionaire Baby by Anna K. Green. Chapter Twenty. What do you know? I was glad of that half hour. I too wanted a free moment in which to think and examine the small scrap of paper I had picked up from this cellar floor. In the casual glance I had given it, it had seemed to offer me a fresh clue quite capable of replacing the old one, and I did not change my mind on a second examination. The shape, the hue, the few words written on it, even the musty smell pervading it, all going to prove it to be one possible link which could reunite the chain whose continuity I believed to be gone forever. Rejoicing in my good luck, yet conscious of still moving in very troubled waters, I cast a glance in the direction of Mrs. Carew's house, from the door of the bungalow whence I had seen Mrs. Ocumpa depart, and asked myself why Mrs. Carew, of all persons in the vicinity, had been the only one to hang back from this scene of excitement. It was not like her to hide herself in such a crisis. How invariably she had followed me in each and every visit I had paid here, and though I remembered all her reasons for preoccupation, her absence under the present conditions bore an aspect of guilt which sent my mind working in a direction which was not entirely new to me, but which I had not as yet resolutely faced. Guilt. The word recalled that other and similar one uttered by Mr. Rathbone in that adventure which had impressed me as so unreal and still held its place in my mind as something I had dreamed. He was looking up when he said it, up the hill, up toward Mrs. Carew's house. He had struck his own breast, but he had looked up, not down, and though I had naturally associated the word he had used with himself, and Miss Graham with a womanly intuition, had supplied me with an explanation of the same, which was neither far-fetched nor unnatural. Yet, all through this day of startling vicissitudes and unimaginable interviews, faint doubts, bidden and unbidden, had visited my mind, which at this moment culminated in what I might call the irresistible question, as to whether he might not have had in mind someone nearer and dearer than himself when he uttered that accusing word. Her position, as I saw it now, did not make this supposition too monstrous for belief. That is, if she secretly loved this man, who did not dare, or was too burdened with responsibility, to woo her. And who can penetrate a woman's mind? To give him, possibly without his knowledge, what every one who knew him declared him to stand in special need of, money and relief from too exacting work, might have seemed motive enough to one of her warm and impulsive temperament for eliminating the child she cared for, but not as she cared for him. It was hard to think it, it would be harder yet to act upon it, but the longer I stood there brooding, the more I felt my conviction grow, that from her and from her alone we should yet obtain definite traces of the missing child, if only Mrs. Ocumpa would uphold me in the attempt." But would Mrs. Ocumpa do this? I own that I had my doubts. Some hidden cause or instinct which I had not been able to reach 
though I had plunged deep into the most galling secrets of her life, seemed to stand in the way of her full acceptance of the injury I believed her to have received from Mrs. Carew, or rather, in the way of her public acknowledgment of it. Though she would fain have this upturning of the bungalow cellar pass for an act of frenzy, I could not quite bring myself to look upon it as such, since taking a final observation of its condition. Though her professed purpose had been to seek the body of her child, the spades had not gone deeper than their length. It had been harrowing, not digging, she had ordered, and harrowing meant nothing more than an obliteration of the footprints which I had menaced her with, comparing with those of Mrs. Carew. Why this show of consideration to one she might call a friend, but who could hold no comparison in her mind with the safety or recovery of the child which, if not hers, was the beloved object of her husband's heart, and only too deeply cherished by herself? Did she fear her charming neighbor? Was the bond between them founded on something besides love, and did she apprehend that a discovery of Mrs. Carew's connection with Gwendolen's disappearance would only precipitate her own disgrace, and open up to public recognition the false relationship she held toward the little heiress? Hard questions, these, but ones which must soon be faced and answered, for wretched as was Mrs. Ocumpaugh's position, and truly as I sympathized with her misery, I was none the less resolved to force such acknowledgment from her as would allow me to approach Mrs. Carew with a definite accusation such as even that daring spirit could not withstand. Thus resolved, and resisting all temptation to hazard an interview with the latter lady before I had seen Mrs. Ocumpaugh again, I made my way up slowly through the grounds, and entered by the side door, just as my watch told me that the half-hour of my waiting was over. Miss Porter was in an upper hall, but turned aside at my approach, with a meaning gesture in the direction of the boudoir. I thought that her eyes looked red, certainly she was trembling very much, and with this poor preparation for an interview before which the strongest and most experienced man might quail, I advanced for the second time that morning to the door, behind which the distracted mother awaited me. If I knocked, I do not remember it. I rather think she opened the door for me herself upon hearing my step in the hall. At all events, we were soon standing face to face again, and the battle for our two wills, for it would be nothing less now, had begun. She was the first to speak. Braving my inquiring look with eyes in whose depths determination struggled with growing despair, she asked me peremptorily, almost wildly, "'Have you told anyone? Do you mean to publish my shame to the world? I see decision in your face. Does it mean that? Tell me, does it mean that?' "'No, madam, far be it from me to harbor such an intention, unless driven to it by the greatest necessity.' Your secret is your own. My only reason for betraying my knowledge of it was in the hope I cherished of its affording some clue to the identity of Gwendolen's abductor. It has not done so yet. May never do so. Then let us leave that topic and return to the clue 
offered by the carrying off of that child into the long closed room back of the bungalow. Mrs. Ocumpa, intentionally or unintentionally, the proof upon which I relied for settling the identity of the person so carrying her, has been destroyed. With a flush, which her seemingly bloodless condition made perfectly startling, she drew back, breaking into wild disclaimers. I know, I fear, I was too wild, too eager. I, I thought only of what might lie under that floor. In a half foot of earth, madam, spades did not enter any deeper. With a sudden access of courage, born possibly of her despair, she sought neither to attempt denial or palliate the fact. And if this was my intention, though I don't acknowledge it, you must recognize my reason. I do not believe, you cannot make me believe, that Gwendolen was carried into that room by Mrs. Carew. But I could see that you believed it, and to save her the shame of such an accusation, and all that might follow from it, I... Oh, Mr. Trevitt, you do not think this possible. Do you know so little of the impulses of a mind, bewildered as mine has been by intolerable suffering? I can understand madness, and I am willing to think that you were mad just then, especially as no harm has been done, and I can still accuse Mrs. Carew of a visit to that room, with the proof in my hand. What do you mean? The steady voice was faltering, but I could not say with what emotion. Hope for herself? Doubt of me? Fear for her friend? It might have been any of these. It might have been all. Was there a footprint left, then? You say proof. Do you mean proof? A detective does not use that word lightly. You may be sure that I would not, I returned. Then, in answer to the appeal of her whole attitude and expression, no, there were no footprints left, but I came upon something else, which I have sufficient temerity to believe will answer the same purpose. Remember that my object is first to convince you, and afterwards, Mrs. Carew, that it will be useless for her to deny that she had been in that room. Once that is understood, the rest will come easy, for we know the child was there, and it is not a place she could have found alone. The proof? She had no strength for more than that. The proof? Mr. Trevitt? The proof? I put my hand in my pocket, then drew it out again, empty, making haste, however, to say, Mrs. Ocumpa, I do not want to distress you, but I must ask you a few questions first. Do you know the secret of that strangely divided room? Only in a general way, Mr. Ocumpa has never told me. You have not seen the written account of it? No. Nor given into Mrs. Carew's hand such an account? No. Mrs. Carew's duplicity was assuming definite proportions. Yet there is such an account, and I have listened to a reading of it. You? Yes, madam. Mrs. Carew read it to me last night in her own house. She told me it came to her from your hands. You see, she is not always particular in her statements. A lift of the hand, whether in depreciation or appeal, I could not say, was all the answer this received. 
I saw that I must speak with the utmost directness. This account was in the shape of a letter on several sheets of paper. These sheets were very old, and were torn as well as discolored. I had them in my hand, and noticed that a piece was lacking from one of them. Mrs. Ocumpa, are you ready to repeat that Mrs. Carew did not receive this old letter from you, or obtain it in any way you know of from the house we are in now? I'd rather not be forced to contradict Mrs. Carew, was the low reply, but in justice to you I must acknowledge that I hear of this letter for the first time. God grant, but what can any old letter have to do with this agonizing question before us? I am not strong, Mr. Trevitt. I am suffering. Do not confuse me and burden me, I pray. Pardon, but I am not saying one unnecessary word. These old sheets, a secret from the family, did not come from this house. Whence then did they come into Mrs. Carew's possession? I see you have forestalled my answer, and if you will now glance at this end of paper, picked up by me in your presence from the cellar floor, across which we both know that her footsteps have passed, you will see that it is a proof capable of convicting her of the fact. I held out the scrap I now took from my pocket. Mrs. Ocumpa's hand refused to take it, or her eyes to consult it. Nevertheless, I still held it out. Pray read the few words you will find there, I urged. They are in explanation of the document itself, but they will serve to convince you that the letter to which they were attached, and which is now in Mrs. Carew's hand, came from that decaying room. No, no. The gesture which accompanied this exclamation was more than one of refusal. It was that of repulse. I cannot see. I do not need to. I, I am convinced. Pardon me, but that is not enough, Mrs. Ocumpa. I want you to be certain. Let me read these words. The story they prefaced is unknown to you. Let it remain so. All I need to tell you about is this, that it was written by Mr. Ocumpa's father, he who raised this partition, and who is undoubted author of these lines. Remember that they headed the letter. Perish with the room whose ceiling oozes blood. If in time to come any man reads these lines, he will know why I pulled down the encircling wall built by my father, and why I raised a new one across this end of the pavilion. Mrs. Ocumpa's eyes opened wide in terror. Blood? she repeated. A ceiling oozing blood? An old superstition, Mrs. Ocumpa, quite unworthy of your attention at the moment. Do not let your mind dwell upon the portion of what I have read, but on the word room. Perish with the room. We know what room was meant. There can be but one. I have myself seen the desk from which these sheets were undoubtedly taken, and for them to be in the hand of a certain person argues. Mrs. Ocumpa's hand went up in dissuasion, but I relentlessly finished that she has been in that room. Are you more than convinced of this now? Are you sure? She did not need to make reply. Eyes and attitude spoke for her. But it was the look and attitude of despair, not hope. 
Evidently she had the very greatest reason to fear Mrs. Carew, who possibly had her hard side as well as her charming one. To ease the situation I spoke, what was in both our minds. I see that you are sure. That makes my duty very plain, Mrs. Ocumpa. My next visit must be upon Mrs. Carew. The spirit which, from the beginning of this latter interview, had infused fresh strength into her feeble frame, seemed to forsake her at this simple declaration. Her whole form drooped, and the eyes which had rested on mine turned in their own way to the river. I took advantage of the circumstance. Someone who knows you well, who knows the child well, dropped the wrong shoe into the river. A murmur, nothing more, from Mrs. Ocumpa's set lips. Could it? I do not say that it was. I don't see any reason why it should be. But could it have been Mrs. Carew? Not a sound this time. Not a sound. She was down at the dock that night. Did you know it? A gesture, but whether of assent or dissent, I could not tell. We know of no other person who was there but the men employed. What do you know? With all her restraint gone, a suffering and despairing woman, Mrs. Ocumpa was on her knees, grasping my arm with both hands. Quit this torture. Tell me that you know it all, and leave me to... to die. Madam, I was confounded, and as I looked at her face, strained back in wild appeal, I was more than confounded. I was terrified. Madam, what does this mean? Are you... you... Lock the door, she cried. No one must come in here now. I have said so much that I must say more. Listen, and be my friend. Oh, be my friend. Those were my footsteps you saw in the bungalow. It was I who carried Gwendolen into that secret hole. End of chapter 20